I want to let you know something, okay? I want to let you know how much I love you and how thankful I am to get to be one of the pastors here. And I love you because you give so faithfully and generously and you make it possible for us to be a bridge to our community. You know, we don't wanna be a church that's erecting walls or digging moats. We wanna build bridges, amen? And last week was one of those events at our Fall Fest that uh, we saw so many people from our community that came to check us out throughout the history of our church. That has been one of our big outreach events. And we couldn't make it happen without you giving to make that possible and to serve. And I know so many of you served in a lot of ways, whether you did a trunk or, a trunk or treat part of that, or you, maybe you served in other areas. I just wanna let you know how thankful I am. And if you're a guest, which I met some of you uh, before this service, I wanna welcome you and I'm so grateful. Church, can we welcome them and let them know that we're grateful they're here today as well. Thank you, thank you. I also want to thank our safety team, our sheepdog, and our police officers because they, their presence last week just made us feel safe. And they do that not only at big events, they do that every single week. And so you guys, be sure when you see one of them to let them know how thankful you are for them. So we're in Ecclesiastes, okay? We've been working through this great book. And uh, last week, Pastor Randy started us in Ecclesiastes chapter five. And if you'll recall, uh, one of the things, if you didn't see that message, I really wanna urge you to go watch it because it's an important message for us to receive in how we are as believers, how we are to get our hearts ready prior to coming to worship. That it's important that we ask the Lord to get us ready, that we don't just show up kind of, kind of flippantly, but that we come into this moment where we are worshiping the Lord together as you have done so beautifully already today. And, and, and we say, Lord, we're really eager to meet with you. You don't need to hear from me today. You need to hear from God, amen? And so we're gonna look in chapter five and continue in that. I wanna ask you to just lift up a special prayer, maybe even while I'm preaching today for one of our church planning partners. I got a text in the middle of the last service. I forgot to turn off my notifications and I got a text from one of our church planning partners, Dustin Jones over at Vantage Point Church. They went this morning and their trailer that had everything in it had been stolen. And so uh, I want us to pray for that church. You be praying for them. We're gonna be sure to reach out this week. We partner with them in a number of different ways. They utilized our building all last year. And so uh, uh, we have a sister church in need and we'll be telling you how you can respond to that. So this week, as I was getting this message ready, I came across this interesting and peculiar butterfly. It is called, and I didn't see it personally because it's a European butterfly, but I saw a story on it. It's a Maculinea arion. And I may be saying that wrong. I'm trying my best. But they call it, in Europe, they call it big blue. Beautiful, isn't it? Okay. Beautiful, big butterfly. What you should know is that this butterfly, as beautiful as it is, is sinister. It's vicious. You say, you've never heard of that before. What are you talking about? Well, what it does, it has this peculiar life cycle where it will come to a plant, will lay its eggs. A lot of times it's a single egg, but it will lay some eggs, sometimes multiple eggs there. And uh, scientists have told us this, that it's one of few butterflies that are actually omnivorous and cannibalistic. Because if the, the, the first one to hatch, if there are other eggs, it will eat the other ones. And then it will begin to eat on the leaf that it is there. And then all of a sudden it has an abrupt change of behavior where it will drop to the ground 
and will begin to emit a chemical that it attracts, it attracts its favorite meal, ants. And so the ants will come to it because they are attracted to the chemical and it will pretend and deceive the ants, pretend that it is dead. And so the ants are like, sweet caterpillar food truck. They pick it up, they carry it, okay, back to the colony. They take it down inside the colony where through the winter winter months there, it will continue to emit this chemical and the whole time its favorite meal is the baby ants. So it will literally devour this colony from the inside out. It's it's alluring. I I looked, I was like, man, that is deceitful. I was trying to find a picture of of that butterfly while they were carrying it doing this, (laughs) right? Because that's how I envision that in my warped way of thinking of things. But that is sinister, isn't it? But all of the time, Many of us people, like the ants, will also unsuspectingly fall for a deception. This deception of even unknowingly sacrificing themselves or maybe our homes or our future and everyone else around them for a taste of the sweet stuff. For a taste of the sweet stuff, here's what we're talking about today, a little bit more just a little bit more, right? More, maybe more money or, or, or maybe something else that's out there, maybe more wealth or, or here's what we would call it, the pursuit of more, this chase that we are in. And, and more is on the outside always alluring, isn't it? It's always what we see that we are attracted to and it, it creates this desire and Little, little do we know that many of us in the pursuit of more and in this desire to acquire, we bring this inside of our homes, we allow it inside of ourselves and it can consume us and it can eat away at our life. It can eat away at our home. It can eat away at our relationships inside our family. It, it can literally destroy us from the inside out. Jesus talks about, in a number of places, talks about the deceitfulness of riches. And we're gonna get into this more in the book of Ecclesiastes, but Jesus would bring this up and how it can choke out the life, it can choke the gospel and God's word from taking root within our lives, the deceitfulness. Christ would talk about that. Now the apostle Paul, and I wanna take you to this passage, and we're gonna come back to Paul in a minute after Ecclesiastes, but apostle Paul in 1 Timothy would, would, would talk to a pastor named Timothy, and he would try to coach Timothy on how to lead a church a church that was in the middle in Ephesus of this great trading center where there was this there was this desire of all these things that were put in front of them this desire to have more and more and more which can never be satisfied paul would say he would say this in verse 9 but people who long to be rich now i want to be clear and you're going to see this multiple times he doesn't say those who are rich he doesn't say it's wrong to have wealth Okay, and we're gonna talk about that. But he says, people who long to be rich, they fall into temptation and are, say it with me, what is it, are trapped. They end up being deceived. 
They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And he goes on and says, and we read verse 10 with me out loud, or at least the first part. Say it with me out loud. Come on, help me out. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say that money is evil. It's not intrinsically wrong or evil. He says this love that we can so often have for it, it can cause a lot of problems. It can eat our lives up from the inside out. Some people, he says, and it's interesting the terminology he uses, craving it, craving it. It's like it's this, this desire, this internal drive. He says, some have wandered from the truth and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. And when I read this passage from Paul this week, I couldn't help but think of Solomon. I couldn't help but think of, and if you know anything about his story, we're trying to bring some, some light on his story. You know this, that, that early on, Solomon, uh, when he became king, he had this dream, and, and God spoke to him in this dream, and what, what do you desire above everything else? And he said this, it was powerful, he said, wisdom. And God said, not only will I bless you with wisdom, I will also, because this is your desire, I'm going to bless you with wealth. And it was an amazing amount of wealth. Now, what's interesting, again, if God was blessing him with wealth, I want you to see that the wealth was not the problem. The problem was somewhere along the way, and, and I can't exactly point to what it was, Solomon had this internal drive and desire for more. If you know his story, you know that he wasn't satisfied with one relationship with one woman. He had over 700 wives, 300 concubines. There was a lust that was going on inside of his heart, okay? And, and somewhere, along, somewhere along this path, like what Paul was talking about, this drive for more or something else or whatever, where there was no contentment within his life, it derailed him. He was derailed and we find this example, okay? Now, as we've taught before, you, you can, and I wanna reiterate this because a lot of you are new, you can be wealthy and live righteously and live with open hands and be generous and not be in love with money, right? You can be wealthy, and, and, but you also can be wealthy and you can live unrighteously and you can be selfish and you can make money your God. I want you to hear this. You can be in poverty and live righteously you also can be poor and you can live unrighteously to where all you ever think about is money. It's not the amount that is possessed. It's really what's going on inside here. It's our relationship to this. It's what's happening within us. I, I read uh, recently that Elon Musk, the uh, founder of SpaceX and, uh, and Tesla, that he surpassed Jeff Bezos of Amazon for being the world's wealthiest person right now. He is sitting, depending upon what happens in the stock market tomorrow, he is sitting around, sitting around 300, not million, billion dollars. Isn't that incredible to think of? Bezos is right behind him. I feel in some way somewhat responsible for making Bezos wealthy because of Amazon. How many of you love you some Amazon Prime? Okay, all right, all right. I, I have to confess it to you. In this, in this talk today, the Lord was convicting me all week because I'm, I'm writing a message and Amazon packages keep showing up on my porch, okay? Because we're talking about the desire for more. And, it, and, and it's interesting because now we don't even have to go get the stuff. The stuff comes to us. 
And it's so easy, right? I sometimes forget what I've ordered. I'm just confessing that to you, all right? Now, Solomon, Solomon was the wealthiest individual of his time. It's so interesting to think about this. Scholars have kind of tried to estimate what his net worth, if you were to compare it to what it is like today with inflation and all of these things, and this is what a lot of scholars say about him, that he was worth, check this out, over $2 trillion dollars. Right? I mean, at some point, you're just talking about we're making up words of bazillions or gazillions or whatever. It, we'll just say it was a lot. It was more than, so this guy understood this, right? He, he was a king who had some bling. He had, he had it all. He, he lived lavishly. It's incredible to think about uh, this palace that was laden with gold. Every year, other kingdoms would bring him, they estimated around $40 million worth of gold annually that was coming in just from other kings paying tribute. He had gold plates, gold cups, a recent archaeological dig. Uh, he had a, a golden chariot. They, they found his, his vanity plates. You want to see what? It, there you go. That's his vanity. That's a terrible preacher joke, but it's a good one, right? Vanity plates. Some of you will get it later because he says vanity all the time. Solomon, what I'm trying to say is Solomon understood wealth. And when a guy who understands it says something about it, it makes sense to say, we probably ought to listen. We probably ought to hear what he has to say about this. And he, he, uh, he knew something about this and he especially could speak into our consumer-driven materialistic society that we live in today. I confess it to you, I struggle with every person here. I struggle with the love of more. I, I, I can struggle with being content at certain times where, uh, where I, uh, am I talking to the right people or am I alone in this? I battle with this and it's like, I, I found myself this week and y'all left me hanging there. Am I, are you with me on this, right? We're, we're making Bezos rich, come on, okay? Well, I remember, I was thinking about my son, Luke, who he's probably gonna be watching. He's up in the Seattle area. But uh, I was thinking about Luke. Whenever Luke was little, he could barely say very many words at one point, but we would give him these gifts and, and grandparents would give him you know, a little bit more and he'd be opening his gifts and before he would even get the paper off of one of the gifts, he would say, what else? And I'd be like, dude, you haven't even finished with that one yet. And I thought, where in the world, who does he get this from? You're thinking I'm gonna say his mother, but I'm smarter than that, okay? He's just like me. And, and, and I think he's really, he's just like all of us. We get something, we are not satisfied. There's a strive for more. What Solomon would tell us, okay, with the big idea of this text today, you could say, this is kind of where this, the message goes. That fulfillment, satisfaction, fulfillment is not found in the pursuit of more. And we often think that when we finally get to this line of what our income is, or when we finally possess this, or we're finally in that relationship, or whatever, then we'll be fulfilled, then we'll be satisfied. And what Solomon is going to say is, there's this drive within us, there's something else, there's something more. Look at verse eight, let's begin to unpack this passage. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, he says this, Don't, do not be amazed at the matter. 
Remember, we're talking about, and he will use this, this terminology, life under the sun. Do you remember that? And life under the sun is life in this broken world where there is sin and there is selfish, selfishness that is present. It's the same world that you and I are living under today. And he says, do not be amazed at the matter for the, for the high official is watched by a higher official. And there are yet higher ones over them. But there is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. That's what he's saying here is Solomon is giving this observation of life under the sun means this, that where life under the sun is, there is sin, and where sin is, there is selfishness. Where selfishness exists, that's going to corrupt our systems, and what you're going to end up seeing is in our systems, you're going to see those who have, and many times you're going to see those who have not. And a lot of times, what Solomon would say, he's not endorsing it, he's just observing it. You could see it as well, is that many times those who have, who have the power, who have more, many times they will push down those who have less and who don't have anything, okay? Now, this, he's not making a political statement here. He's just saying, this is the human condition. You see it all the time. And he's saying, don't be surprised by this. Just understand that where sin is, there's selfishness. Where selfishness is, there's corruption, where there is corruption, there's greed. And, 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 and so I was thinking this week, I was thinking, what would be an application for us in this? And here's what I simply think, okay, as we begin to move through the rest of this passage. Here's what I think. I, I think what we've just got to be committed as Christ followers to do is to understand the brokenness of the world and as agents of Jesus Christ, okay, because you're a representative of Christ. When you walk out of here, you're a representative. You don't leave your Christian suit here. Your Christian, you know, it's who you are. It's when we walk out, it's to open our eyes and to notice it. Because a lot of times it's easy to just pass by, not notice, just ignore. You know, you know what I'm saying, okay? And I'm not trying to guilt you if you, any of us. I'm just saying for all of us, it's to open our eyes and look around. And to notice, you know, as a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for several years before I became a church planner and a, and a lead pastor. And you know what I discovered? The best thing I ever did for the students that I led was to take them on mission trips. And I would teach them to forget about themselves for a little bit and to focus on serving and loving most of the time people who were way less fortunate than they were. You know what I found? I had parents coming up to me afterwards, what did you do with my kid? I'm like, I just showed them a little bit of the world. I showed them this and the Lord showed them in the process and they would come back and there would be many of them. They'd go down, man, they'd be bickering, they'd be fighting, there'd be selfishness, there'd be all this, right? It's one of the reasons I'm out of youth ministry today, okay? But, but we'd go down, then they'd come back and a lot of times they were just completely transformed because they were exposed to things that some of them didn't realize. They just thought, well, that's just you know, somebody else, so I'm not gonna worry about that or engage with that. I really believe this. This is one of the reasons that we, we try to stay and will always, as long as, as, as me and Pastor Randy are, are leaders within our congregation, we're gonna lead you to engage the world because what God is doing is so much bigger than right here. And the world includes what's happening here in Eagle Mountain Saginaw, but it also includes what's happening other places around the world to be exposed to things that are going on. And, and there's something that, that whenever we open our eyes and we actually see it and we don't ignore it, here's what Solomon would say. Don't just react, uh, you know, oh, I'm so surprised. Respond. 
pray. God, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to tell you because that needs to be between you and the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to present some things for you constantly, and you ask the Lord to show you how to engage. Open your eyes. Respond. Now, another application I started thinking about is, for many of us, our desire to kind of get to the top, a lot of us will, we will, we will let those things destroy our families from the inside out, and we'll even push others down to maybe get a little bit higher. And so you need to think about that. I, 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 need to, I need to put that out there to you. And you need to understand that God calls his people to a higher standard. All throughout scripture, God calls his people to care for the poor. He does. He calls us to engage those who are less fortunate. If you, if you look at the life of Jesus, what you will find is that Jesus always ministered to the marginalized. Jesus noticed people that other people wouldn't have anything to do with. And he engaged them and he loved them and he, he reached his hand to them, right? We're called as the church to give water to the thirsty. We're called to give food to the hungry. We're called to fight for justice for those who are oppressed. This isn't a political statement. This is who we're supposed to be as believers. Amen, right? This is how we're supposed to live, okay? So we are to live on mission with God. Don't let your politics confuse your mandate from Jesus, which is to love people around you. Love God, love people, and we're about developing disciples. Now Solomon's gonna begin, as we begin kind of looking more in this, he's gonna begin to talk about, there's kind of a curse that goes along with more or the desire for more. He begins to talk about some problems that come with it, okay? Let's begin to look at this. He says in verse 10, now, it's interesting because it's so similar to what Paul said. He who, what does it say? Loves money. Not he who has money. But he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is, say it with me, what? Vanity. Remember what that word is. It's here. It's gone. It's real. Spray bottle. It's gone. It's a mist. It's a vapor. Have you noticed this about ourselves? We're so much like this, aren't we? We have something. Let's pretend there's a line over here that we think in our minds, if I can get my income level to where that line is, come on, I'm, I'm going to be happy there. I'm going to be satisfied. You know what I have found throughout my years is that many of us, we will get to that line and the same financial pressure that we had before we ever got to that line, we will carry it with us because here's what I found, the line keeps moving. Are you with me, right? It keeps moving. And we think, well, that wasn't quite enough. We wanna get into this neighborhood or we need to drive this car, we need to do this. And so I gotta keep, Keep on, keep on. And the line just keeps moving. It could keep going. And it's like we never seem to be able to obtain this. And it's like we're chasing after something we're never going to catch. Remember, he said it's chasing after the wind. Many times I was literally writing this message this week. I looked over at my dog, Charlie, and Charlie was doing this, right? Check it out. There you go. All right. And I was like, now that's not Charlie because I didn't, I wasn't quick to video, but I want you to know that, that that is so often what it's like is we're chasing our tail and we're not going to catch it. And what's sad is that this desire within us is creating the dissatisfaction. And it creates the drive to keep going after more. And the problem, all right, you got to hear this, okay? This is, this is, this is profound. 
The problem with more, when you understand the definition of more, is it's not what is currently in your hand, it's out there, or it wouldn't be more, correct? What you already have is not, right? It's more is out there. John Rockefeller at, at one time was the wealthiest in the world uh, in the early 1900s, late 1800s. His income was said to be in that time, he was bringing in a million dollars a week and he was being asked at that time, a reporter asked him, how much will ever be enough? And you know what he said? His words, a little more, just a little more. Those are his words. By the way, if you know about his story, you also know that in his 50s, he couldn't even really enjoy his wealth because he was so eaten up with the pursuit of it that he literally was living on, he couldn't even buy the extravagant food that many of us would like to eat. He was living on milk and crackers because his stomach was so torn up all the time because of this. Now, now what you should know is that at some point, he finally realized this and and he actually lived to be in his, I believe his late 80s or 90s. And uh, so he lived a, a longer life, but something happened within him to where he realized it's probably time for me to start opening my hands and maybe giving some of this away. And there was a dramatic change within him. So Solomon says, for the person who loves it, more is never enough. Now, now here's another problem. Look at verse 11. He says, when goods increase, he says, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So here is another problem. More is never enough, but more collection creates more consumption. More collection creates more consumption. Again, our income may go up, but... For some of us, our standard of living keeps, keeps growing as well, right? And we, we can't be satisfied in a certain area. The satisfaction line keeps moving is what Solomon is getting at. And it's a cycle that seems to never end for some of us. Now, another thing that Solomon can mean in this, and, and I do think he means this, is, is Solomon had a hard time, I really believe, and we talked about this, with really feeling lonely and really feeling like who really cared about him because as we see so often, you see like maybe a big athlete or a, uh, a rock star or a movie star, they get a payday, they come into money, and what happens? People come and they want to be around them. And they want to be around them, and then they have no idea that they're footing the bill or how much everything is costing because someone else is managing that money. The money goes away, and when the money goes away, we've seen it many times, the entourage leaves. And I think Solomon was in this place of, he probably really didn't know who really was his friend, who really liked him for himself. He would say this, right? This never enough is a problem. This more collection, it, it creates more consumption. The next problem he sees, look at verse 12. Sweet, he says, is the sleep of a laborer. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. Now check this out. But the full stomach, this is a proverb he gives, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So the problem that he says is this, it's, it, it creates some anxiety for us. When you have more to manage, when you're, and, and maybe some of you business owners, you understand that as the business grows, there's more headaches, there's more things. You maybe started out and there was simplicity, I think about that as a church planner when we first started, it was just really simple and now there's a lot of complicating matters, you know, that have kept me up at night certain times. Here's what you could say, the pursuit of more produces restlessness. There's a restlessness within our soul, right? And he's saying that the laborer, 
and this guy, he's, he's almost, you, you almost sense that he's a little bit jealous of that guy. This guy, he just comes home, he just checks out, he eats some dinner, and he's able to go to sleep. But what he's saying here is, this pursuit of more, for some, it creates anxiety. Now, there are all kinds of, of ways that this could happen. Maybe this guy is, he's worried about what's going to happen in the stock market. Maybe he's worried about who's trying to take it from him. Maybe he's, or she is, worried about who's trying to undercut them at the office. Because it can get a little political out there, right? And so this person has a really hard time sleeping. The anxiety level grows with more. Now, some handle it well, but others don't. And they get eaten up from the inside out, and it destroys them. And this is what he is getting at, producing a restless soul. Shakespeare said this, but actually what you should know is that Solomon said it long before Shakespeare. And here's what he said. More money, more problems. Now, no, some of you thought that Notorious B.I.G. came up with that, okay? But... Um, some of you are like, who is that? Don't go look that up. Trust me, okay? Now you did. But it's a song, okay? A rapper. Solomon came up with that. More means more problems. This is what he's saying. These are the problems that come with the desire for more. You're going to be tempted to compromise your values. You're going to be tempted to push others down. You're going to, you're going to be tempted not to be content and satisfied with what you have. You could become obsessed with what's out there. Or maybe even in a marriage, who else is out there? Okay? It happens. I'm on Facebook doing whatever. You know what I'm saying? And here's what he's saying. He's saying this, right? It's interesting. If we had a rock star or a pro athlete or somebody that was up here who had a lot of money who was trying to tell you something, you'd probably really be listening. For some of us, we don't really... We don't really get it, and so we keep pursuing more. We keep pursuing more. But what Solomon is trying to say is, listen to me. I've been in this place of the pursuit of more. So Solomon is going to talk about problems of more, but I want to show you that he's going to start giving us an example. He's going to tell us a parable, a parable of a wasted life, the parable of more. And he's going he's to tell this story. There's a grievous evil, he says, that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept. Now, this word kept has an indication of hoarded, okay? Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Do you see that? To his hurt. We'll come back to that in a second. And those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. And he says, this is also, this also is a grievous evil. He uses that word, a grievous, just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there? This word gain, he keeps using it. It's an accounting term. This word gain, what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? He's chasing his tail. He's chasing his tail. Moreover, all his days, this is kind of sad right here, he eats in darkness. Much vexation and sickness and anger. The NLT says it like this. Throughout this guy's life, he lives in a cloud. And in the cloud, here's what he experiences. And you, you can feel this, right? Frustration. Anger. 
discouragement. He eats in darkness. It could be that this is a guy who, who he's, he's just gone all the time. He, and when he finally gets home, everybody else has gone to bed. And I really think there's some, there's some indication here that this could be maybe somebody that struggles with workaholism and um, could speak to some of us today. He's working. She's working incredibly hard. But in the process ruining the very relationships of the one that he or she is working hard for. There has to be some balance somewhere. This is, he says it's a grievous evil. That literally means it's a sickening story. It makes me sick is what Solomon says. He's so worn out. She's so tired. She's given her life to this pursuit of more. Now Solomon is not anti-work ethic. Because he speaks many places of good work and hard work and that it's good. What he's talking about is a person who makes more and the drive for it as the foundation of his or her life. And what did Jesus say? You better pick your foundation carefully. And many will pick a foundation and they will lay it on sand. And what happens? Storm comes, wipes it out. Jesus said, no, build your house on a rock. This is what he's getting at, all right? The stock market crashed. The investment he went, he put in, you know, and thought it was a lock. It didn't turn out. Maybe someone stole it from him and cheated him. Something happened. Some storm happened that he wasn't expecting or she wasn't expecting. You've heard that money talks. For many of us, the only thing we've ever heard is bye-bye, Right? Why? Solomon said this. Isn't it interesting? Many of us will look to possessions or money to do for us what only God can do. Solomon said these words, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Check this out. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. You realize if you look at a dollar bill, there is an eagle on that thing. And some of you know what I'm talking about. It can fly away quick. This is, this is what he's getting at. The riches, he says, that word you circled a second ago, says we're kept. It's, the, it's, it's this word for hoarded. He became, this guy became so obsessed with more, and yet his fists were just clenched tightly on what he had. He was a miserable miser. He had a lot, but he didn't share. He wouldn't share. He wouldn't give. He, wouldn't, he wasn't generous. He maybe even forfeited his relationships with others. He lost. And Solomon says, this is a sad story. This is sickening. This makes me sick. By the way, you may think, well, he didn't diversify. Diversification is good. But did you miss what he said in verse 16? He said, I don't care if you diversify or not. There is something that is coming for all of us at one point. If you've been with us week after week, what is it? Death. Nearly every week has had some element that has brought up this issue of our mortality, correct? We are not going to cheat death, no matter how much money we have. And Solomon says, he comes in the world this certain way, which is naked with nothing, and out he or she will go with naked or nothing. You can't take it with you. By the way, I heard of a rich man who made his wife promise 
made his wife promise that whenever he died, that she would bury their wealth and money with him. The funeral happened afterwards. Someone came up and said, I'm so offended that I I didn't see the money in the casket. You didn't honor his wishes. She said, sure I did. I transferred everything into my account and I wrote him a check and I put the check in the casket. (laughs) Think about that. Here's what death does. Death reveals, it reveals the wisdom of your investments. It shows if there was wisdom in that. How did you spend your life? Well, here's the thing. Everyone will find out when you die. How did you spend? How did you invest? Who did you invest in? How did you live? Right? You're born naked. They put you, have you thought about this? You're born naked. You come into this world. They give you your first little outfit. You got your little cap. You got your little gown. They wrap you up like a little burrito. And what do they do? They put you in a box. And the life of consumption begins. And then something comes for us all, death happens, and what do they do? They put you either in a nice suit or whatever you like to wear or a dress, and what do they do? They put you in a box. Between box and box, how are you investing? What are you pursuing? When will we, between box to box, ever feel like we have enough? And then I was thinking even more about that. When will we ever, because I know some of us, we tie our identity and our esteem and our status to what we have or where we work or whatever. When will we ever not just have enough, but, and this is going to speak to some of you right now, feel like we are enough. Because for some of us, we're tied to that. And, and if we lose a job or if we lose this, yes, that is devastating. I, I understand that. But you need to understand something, that if you're a believer and you're in Christ, that is not your identity. These things come and they go. Maybe maybe you'll think, well, at least I'll have enough to leave to my kids or grandkids, and I don't have time to get into this today, but a few weeks ago we did. And remember, Solomon would say, well, maybe, but until they blow it, and all that you worked for, and, and he handed it off to one of his sons who who ruined the entire kingdom in less than a year all that he had worked for. And man, this hits home for all of us. I know this because, again, as I was writing this message all week, the Lord was bringing conviction onto my heart. Amazon packages were showing up. I was being reminded, I love some more. And I can struggle with that, probably like many of you here today, but what Solomon would say is, it's vanity. It's vanity. And, 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 Here's what Solomon would tell us, okay, as we begin to wrap this up. We've given you the problem. We've given you a parable to consider and to begin to apply. He's going to begin to give us a solution. What's the solution? We're going to read it. Solomon's solution is this. It's contentment. It's gratitude. And I really believe this. It's generosity. That there's something that happens within us that begins to to fight against that problem of more, right? This push to acquire more, to have more, to be more. He says, verse 18, and this is really powerful, right? Take note of this. Behold, he says, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink. And he says, and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him 
for this is his, say it with me, what? Lot. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's his lot, things that we can't control, right? And he goes on and he says, everyone also to whom, now remember Solomon a lot of times is struggling some with God in this journal of his. But in this passage right here, he's gonna bring God up three times. And he's gonna, every time he brings God up, it's about the gift that God gave. The gift of life, the gift of the ability to acquire wealth, the gift of the ability to work. He's gonna keep bringing this up, okay? And everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power. He's given power to some to do what? Look, enjoy them. It's not wrong to have. It's wrong to not understand how we relate to it. And look, to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. Say it with me, church. What is it? This is a gift of God. It's a gift. For he will not much remember the days of his life. This part right here is so powerful. He will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Another way that translates in the NLT is he's not brooding over his past. You know why? Because he's fully engaged in being grateful for what he has right now in the moment. He or she is present. It's not about what's out ahead. It's not about what's behind. I'm present. I'm present right now. And I'm thankful. I'm grateful. These are called right here, these passages are called the carpe diem passages. Now carpe diem, as we understand it, that Latin phrase, seize the day, all right? Enjoy the moment. But here's what he's saying, not just for yourself, enjoy the moment and realize who gave you the moment. God did. It's a theocentric way of looking at this. Receive the life that God has given. So I wanna give you, all right, as application. Here we go, to wrap this up. What's powerful, he mentions God over and over, and I want you to hear this, that, that, that there's some choices that you and I get to make with what we've heard today. Your choice can be contentment, because contentment is a choice. Did you hear that? Contentment is a choice. That you, as an act of worship before your God, Choose to enter into and say, Lord, I'm satisfied not because of these things. I'm satisfied in you. In you. I'm satisfied in you. Here's another thing. Complaining is a good way to discover whether or not you are content or not. Oh, move on, Pastor Bart. (laughs) It hurts, doesn't it? But it's true. And complaining is also a choice. It's a choice. So here's what we do. I think what Solomon is saying is, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Some of you literally, open your eyes. Okay. (laughs) Open your eyes. (laughs) Got to work in my dig. All right, open your eyes. And be grateful for what you have. Can we do that today? Amen? Be grateful for what you have. Now, it may not be as much as you used to have. It may not be as much as you want to have. Forget about that and choose to enter in with God right now and say, I'm thankful for what I have. 
You realize this, right, that living in America puts you in the top percentage in the entirety of the world. You know that, right? (laughs) Even if you're struggling, and a lot of us are struggling maybe today, you're still in the top percent. You're still in that top 5%. So many of us, we have destination disease. Remember, we're chasing, chasing, chasing. And he's saying in this, no, choose to be content and grateful for what you have. And here's the final thing that I think he's saying, and I want to read you this passage. Okay, we're going to come back and close this with 1 Timothy. He writes to Paul, or Paul writes to Timothy, yet, Timothy, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. So here's what I'm telling you he's going to say. Paul is saying this, not only open your eyes, open your hands. Live generously. Live generously. Jesus would say all of these things that would rock our world because he would say, to really live, you have to die. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. He flips everything around and he says, this is how to be my disciple. It's different. And you know what it is? Freeing. It's freeing. Last passage right here, closing with this. Teach those, he says, teach those who are rich in this world. Just know if you're an American, that's you. Not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. Open hands. They should be rich in good works and look generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. And say the last part with me out loud. All right, let's close with a big finish. So that they may experience true life. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can invest in the kingdom of God and send it on ahead of you. And you know how you do that? You invest in people. And we live generously. I say it all the time. We're going to keep saying it. We want to lead EBC, not out of pride in any way, but because this is what we believe God's leading us to do, to be one of the most generous churches in our generation. Amen? Amen? And and, and we want to lead this church to give more away than we ever keep to ourselves. If you want to be a part of a vision like that, you've found a place where we love to give. We love to bless. We love to invest in others.